Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Annie Lim, who is the founder and CEO of Honeybee. And Honeybee is a holistic financial wellness platform that provides employees with on-demand financial coaching and access to emergency funds for life's unexpected expenses with a single click. In this episode of the podcast, we go through how Annie started Honeybee, the fundraising process, growth, and so much more, all behind creating an impactful company. Such a fun episode with Annie, and I really hope you enjoy it. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. Without further ado, here is Annie Lim, the founder and CEO of Honeybee. Annie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yes, so excited to chat. And for people who aren't familiar with Honeybee, could you give us like a little bit of an overview of, of what the company is? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, well, I'll just take a few steps back, but Honeybee was the result of a financial setback that I experienced myself. After my divorce, my credit was negatively impacted and I couldn't get access to any affordable credit and couldn't get approved for an apartment. So I moved everything I owned into storage and went oh. back to Canada to live with my parents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> humbling experience to say the least. Yeah, But yeah, yeah. it really helped me discover this fundamental problem here in the US. And I became obsessed with this dark $90 billion payday industry where payday lenders provided expensive loans to vulnerable families in the US. And couldn't quite wrap my head around why there wasn't a more responsible and sustainable solution for the 78% of Americans that are living paycheck to paycheck today, which means one paycheck creates a domino effect of unpaid bills, utilities shutting off, eviction, not to mention, not to mention all the mental stress that comes with it. Yeah. So I reconnected with a friend I knew from college days who is one of my co-founders today. And his family used to own restaurants. They had about 50 to 60 employees. And every time an employee was faced with an emergency, they would ask his dad for money. And once you start lending to one employee, you can imagine (laughs) you have to do it for everyone else. Yeah. And collecting that money back is an absolute nightmare. So we started talking to different employers and we realized it was happening across different industries, but no one was really talking about it because there are tax liabilities. And we knew there was an opportunity to come up with a better solution to solve both employers and employees' challenges today. So that was like the long version, but what we do today (laughs) at Honeybee offers this like, we offer this turnkey solution to mid-market employers to address their workforce financial needs. And we make it possible by providing emergency funds with no interest or fees, regardless of their credit, with a few simple clicks. And our on-demand financial experts can address all of their financial needs questions through chat, phone, video, in English and in Spanish. So we're the rainy day coverage for working Americans. That was my long version. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a podcast, so thankfully we can have the long version, which is great. And, and with that too, though, the company's been around more than four years at this point. Going back to those early days, when you have this issue and you know you want to make the company, what was kind of the initial version? What did you see as the initial version being uh, early on with Honeybee? 
Uh, well, we knew that we wanted to provide access for the employees. So we knew that the channel we wanted to go through was through the employee channel to have the B2B yeah. business. Because when you provide a benefit to your employees, there's they trust it more. And and I think that's that's how we knew we were going to go to market. And our initial version was always to provide a really low cost credit to the employees. And over time, it just pivoted to making sure that we're mission aligned with the employees, which is providing 0% interest to the, um, to the employees. With that too, then understanding that that's what you're able to offer at this point, that being such a crazy industry with payday loans and everything. I mean, when you were, when you were looking at it initially, what was that kind of customer discovery process or research process around it to figure out like why this wasn't being offered or like the early stages of, of Honeybee then? Well, I, I started looking at access to affordable credit when I was faced with that challenge. And that's really how I came across, you know, the payday industry. And so when we first started off, as you know, payday loan stores are disproportionately located heavily in African-American and Latino neighborhoods. And that's where we started. I reached out to HR across various different industry sectors, manufacturing, food production, agriculture, healthcare, nonprofits. And in fact, when we first started, I didn't have a salary. So I was under Medi-Cal. As you know, founders are really poor. <laughs> and and one, of, <laughs> and, uh, one of our first employers was a healthcare clinic that I went to that served predominantly African-American underserved communities. So when I first went for my doctor's appointment, I also signed them up as a, one of our first employers. That's amazing. What was the pitch <laughs> at that point in time? Um, it was, well, I did my appointment first. <laughs> and then I asked to speak to the right person, which was the executive director at the time. And and yeah, so I just wanted to know a little bit more about their workforce. And, uh, and yeah, I just started there. And so she brought in other employees that were nurses and ask them for their feedback. And it turns out that a lot of employees had a bunch of payday loan debt. And their answer was, I needed this yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's how we signed them up. That's amazing. And with that then, so that was the like the first one, basically. Who was the team behind this when you, when you were starting off with? Oh, it was just um, me, myself and two co-founders, um, Benny, whose family had restaurants and a friend of ours, Max. And we just, you know, started grinding away. Early on then, uh, the fundraising side of it, so you say you're not making money as a founder, especially early on, like you're really not making <laughs> anything. Like what What was the funding? Was it bootstrapped from the beginning and then you end up raising a fund? I'm curious on that side of things as well. It was bootstrapped from the beginning and then we became, then we had venture backing. But at the, at the end of the day, we always put all the money into the operation of the business and less for ourselves. And then the fundraising process, take me through how that went for you. This is something that's obviously so challenging for any founder trying to, to build a company and then fundraising for it. How was your experience than any? Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Just to say like we had to speak to well over a hundred VCs before we had um, money in the bank. <laughs> we, it's, it's that hungry mentality. We at some point had a hundred dollars left in our bank account and we had one investor that invested in us. And, and that just kind of created this domino effect. For reference then for other people who maybe are going through fundraising now or thinking about fundraising for their company, a hundred plus meetings, 
how are you going about getting these connections, making these connections, and ultimately finding them, the investors to literally write you checks? Like, how were you going about that process of it too? I think that was the biggest challenge. We, my co-founders and I are not uh, founders that were, we're not second time founders that came from, uh, you know, Silicon Valley. So as you know, there is a tight community of VCs and founders. And so that became really challenging. And so I knew we had a good idea. So we would um, get the meetings for sure. But I think what was challenging is they didn't really know us. And for to put their money in founders that they're not familiar with is always challenging. So you just have to keep going at it. You To be able to raise money, you have to tolerate rejection really well. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> And so that was that was a trial and error process, to be honest. And we constantly had to fix our pitch and story and just keep going. Where were you learning or who was most helpful in that process for understanding how to go about it, how, how to improve upon that? I mean, did you have any mentors along the way or like what was helpful as you're going through that? I really wish we did have mentors. I... Uh, we read a lot of books, <laughs> read, uh, there's a lot of information online, uh, different VCs put out information and, you know, like podcasts like this one. Yeah. And so we just constantly was learning and yeah, like, like I mentioned, it was really just a trial and error process, but, um, we just learned along the way. And then going from, you know, you're, you're trying to get funding, you're struggling to get funding. You finally do it to a hundred meetings, which I actually talked to Zuleika Strassner from Zero. She mentioned she went through 263 meetings to get her, oh. her, get her checks. I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, that's insane, but also amazing that she kept going. But understanding that you went through all this then to get funding, after you had that kind of initial uh, venture capital, what was the next steps you took then to continue growing Honeybee? Oh, we already knew what we were going to do with that money. So we were, we operated really lean and we still do today. And I think like for us was just uh, some ability to hire people in sales and um, yeah, just keep grinding. But we didn't spend that money immediately. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was precious for us. So, so yeah, so we still run really lean today. And with that too, then I, uh, typically people are raising for a certain uh, amount of, in terms of like the runway they can get, did you have a, a runway kind of in, in mind with it as you're raising and backing into that? I know I just literally just interviewed someone about that. So that's why it's kind of top of mind when you first had raised uh, the funding. Well, our goal was to always have runway for like 12 to 18 months. And yep. um, because there are, you need room to pivot and for the endless mistakes you make as founders. <laughs> Go figure. So, so yeah, so about 12 to 18 months. Awesome. And going from then, you mentioned earlier too, with kind of your, your first your first customer acquiring them then, how has that, that growth strategy evolved since then, the early days? <laughs> I'm still at a lot of medical clinics. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so um, our growth strategy has been what was really amazing is we instill a culture of authenticity, um, the desire to share stories. I've been really open about my own financial struggles, and that's how we landed, you know, our first client, our second client, our third client, and we really try to make sure that you know HR kind of share their own stories, CEO, CFO, and. Um, spread the word. And I think like they've been doing an amazing job at, uh, you know, spreading the word about Honeybee because they have a really great experience with it. So they share it with their own community. And and that's how we've been growing uh, since then. It was pretty organic. 
but also doing amazing podcasts like this one to share share our story. I will save that snippet for the future and play that over and over again. <laughs> I did not pay for that endorsement, by the way. Um, and, and that's always something that startups are trying to figure out is that that growth strategy, what are those levers going to be? But when you have something that is inherently just so useful that people want to talk about it, I mean, that is is huge. And that should be like the goal of anyone really to have a company where these these endorsers are the, literally their clients or their customers because the product is so good. And, and understanding that then, is there anything you're doing to help encourage that, to uh, to get feedback, to make it better. Like, I'm curious on how how that goes and how you kind of evolve your offering along the way. Um, well, I think like what we're seeing today, especially uh, and during this pandemic, you're seeing Americans living paycheck to paycheck. They're struggling financially, and 69% of Americans have less than a thousand dollars in savings for an unexpected expense. We saw one in five households losing an income earner uh, over the last four months. Over one third of Americans couldn't cover their rent uh, during this pandemic. So the problem is pretty obvious. Uh, it's always been obvious, but this pandemic has highlighted that. And I think more employers are aware that financial health is becoming a priority instead of um, it's a must have uh, rather than a nice to have. And yeah. so, so I think like that's highlighted the issue for us. So we've seen a lot of HR prioritize it over the last few months, but, but I think, you know, constantly creating awareness is really important and well, the government's doing that for us. Help <laughs> <laughs> out right now with that side of things and, and understanding that it's, you know, word of mouth is helping spread, helping spread honeybee then, but are there, are there certain targets in terms of like who would be the kind of ideal uh, companies or ideal customers for you um, as you're looking to, to grow as well? Yeah, we always wanted to focus on mid-market employers because they are often overlooked when it comes to benefits. If you think about a nonprofit organization, they have about maybe 100 to 120 employees. There's usually about one HR manager that handles everything. And you can imagine all the 403B loans that get on their desk. So we wanted to make sure we could provide a quick turnkey solution so we can roll out our program within 24 hours with no payroll integration. And that's really where we focused our time. And in terms of industries where we've seen the biggest success has actually been nonprofits. And then looking forward to, I mean, how do you how do you decide on maybe like different product offerings or different uh, services that you're going you're gonna to provide or how you're going to adjust yours uh, moving forward? Like how does that like how do you view that or how, how what you're thinking around around that as you're looking to to grow continually? I think our core product will always be providing emergency funds at no interest, no fees, no tipping. Uh, you borrow four hundred, you repay back four hundred and and that's what people need. People need a rainy day fund. so so that's always going to be our core product. And as we evolved, we started adding the one-on-one -on -one financial counseling in English and in Spanish because everybody walks through very different financial journeys. Yeah. One person can be preparing to buy a house. One person can be in foreclosure. Some people are going through bankruptcy. And not to mention the medical debt that everybody um, has, including myself. And so <laughs> it is it is a huge challenge that people need to overcome in, in terms of um, you know, their financial goals. So we wanted to make sure that they had access to someone at all times. And the product will, will always continue to grow, but our core product will always be providing emergency funds because that's what people need. People need to have access. 
I know you mentioned that this this came from obviously a personal uh, challenge, a personal experience that you started the company. But did you think you did you always think you'd be an entrepreneur? I'm just curious. Um, let's see. <laughs> I think my parents would say yes. Uh, I, <laughs> when I was at a young age, well, I would always try to raise money for a nonprofit somehow. I used to have this garage sale when I was seven oh, wow. <laughs> and I was trying to, I, I was somehow always an activist. Uh, I was trying to, this is kind of funny story. I was trying to um, free a killer whale. <laughs> so, <laughs> try to raise money. And then I would like pack up that funds that I earned and then send it to them. So I always knew I was going to be in the impact space. I don't know if it was on, I was going to be an entrepreneur, but I knew I was going to do something impactful because I think that's what um, creates meaning in my life. I know that's super cliche, but, but true. <laughs> yeah. So understanding that then the last, you know, the last few years you've been building Honeybee, you've, you've obviously made a tremendous amount of, of, of progress and you've raised a few million dollars uh, with the company then like what have been the biggest challenges along the way in those last four plus years of, of growing Honeybee? Um, our biggest challenge will always be creating awareness for prioritizing financial health, especially for C-level and some HR that might not see the problem. And, and our biggest challenge will always try to create that awareness to make sure that you need to prioritize this for your employees. Uh, employers never think twice about buying snacks for their workforce, <laughs> but yet... You know, like I mentioned before, 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings for an unexpected yeah. expense. And getting snacks at work will not make a significant impact in their lives. Americans need a financial safety net. They need someone to speak to when they can't make ends meet, when they've borrowed against their retirement, when they're dealing with medical debt, student loans, wage garnishments, and financial stress trickles into the workplace. It affects mental health, productivity, and engagement, which will always affect organizations' bottom line. So our biggest challenge will always be bringing awareness to C-level and HR about prior prioritizing employees' financial health. And knowing that with Honeybee, you, you want to make an impact, and that's you know you've been trying to do that essentially your whole entire life. Starting at seven years old, I mean that's that's it's amazing. Like, what is kind of the the grand vision for for Honeybee? Like, where do you want to take this company? Um. I think whether it's, you know, short term or long term, it all comes down to execution. I, I do believe every working American should and deserve access to affordable credit. We're in the middle of a pandemic that is far from over. Unemployment yeah. is staggering. Americans are getting laid off and furloughed across all industries. So we all need to empathize with each other and our customers. And as CEO, I'm responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. And I think in Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game, he writes about turning an idea into a movement. And that's really how I think about Honeybee in the long term. Honeybee was an idea that resulted from my own struggles, but I believe that we can turn this idea into a movement. Talking about money is scary. Talking about debt is even scarier. There's <laughs> yeah. so much shame attached to it. We need to start destigmatizing financial health support in the workplace and create a movement to bridge that financial literacy gap in the US and give people access to emergency funds, especially for people of color and women. And to that point, you mentioned a little bit about this, but like, how do you 
balance than the short term, like short term thinking execution with with long term vision at the company? How do you do that? How do I balance? It's uh, I think this journey is a series of problem solving. So it is just a day to day. It's you just got to take it day to day. I think there's no other way to do it. We know what our long term vision is. But in the short term, we just have to make sure we execute it. And then in order to do that, we have to have a really great team, a great foundation, a strong DNA for, for the team that's on board on this journey. Uh, what's unique about everyone in our company is everyone has gone through their own financial struggles. So they empathize with the situation. So I think that's what it comes down to, having a great team. And to that point that, uh, of having a great team, I mean, how have you gone about that process of, of building your team? Because that's such a struggle for so many founders of, uh, of building a team and trying to find the right, the culture fit and everything along that. Like, how have you kind of approached that? Uh, building a team is, is a, trial and, it's a trial and error process, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think for, for me personally, it was really important to, to find people with, with the skill set, but also, like I mentioned earlier, the struggles. Uh, we all somehow have a chip on our shoulder and <laughs> yeah. we are ready to like roll up our sleeves and we're hungry. We're hungry to make this work. So I think that's a very unique um, personality trait that I look for. And and that's embodied in every single one of the employees that work here. And your role then as, as CEO, take me through w- what a day kind of looks like for, for you. Now, there's no um, normal days per, per se with, with COVID, but what does a kind of a typical day then look like for you, Annie? Uh, I try not to start my day day off by looking at my phone as soon as I wake up in the morning. I, that's a really bad habit. Oh, it's, I do it <laughs> so, all It's so bad. It's so terrible. It is. <laughs> and so I think physical activity is really important. And although COVID, we've had to get a little bit more creative. Uh, kayaking, paddle boating, swimming is how I balance my day. But in terms yeah. of like day to day, you know, I think it's important just to, especially during COVID, we're all work at home is to have a schedule. So I have a reminder every time on Alexa, like what I should be doing, I should eat now. (laughs) And now you should go for a walk. And so so that's important. And I think that's how I've been trying to readjust to all of this work at home situation. Just curious, when do you start your day? When do you end your day? How do you decide uh, when you're going to be done working for the day? So I like to start my day early, like 5.30. I'm a morning person. So Damn. when yeah, every, everything just, you know, it's dark and it's nice, nobody's out. So I do like to start my day with some kind of physical activity. And when the day is over, that's always tough. You know, sometimes it ends at six, sometimes it ends at seven. But, uh, but I try to balance that out and try to do some kind of other physical activity at the end of the day. What determines uh, when, when you end your day then? Is it just a matter of if you have more emails to get through or something like that? Like, How do you decide on when to stop? Because for me, it's always such, such a struggle deciding when is like enough for today. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's the balance that uh, myself and my co-founders all struggle with. But I think that's what the reminder on Alexa always tells me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like time to eat dinner. And so, so I try to end my day around like six or seven. So you're telling me that Alexa runs your life, and is what you're what you're saying. You're essentially a drone being run by Alexa every day. That's that's, that's definitely the first time I've heard that. 
perhaps she will hear you. <laughs> I'm tempted to do the same. I, I mean, I have a calendar I, I work off of for everything, but at the same time, it's like having those reminders, whatever it may be, whether it be Alexa or something else is important because you just forget. And there's so many things to, on your mind, potentially. I think that'd be really helpful. So I'm, I'm actually yeah. tempted to <laughs> try that, it out. Yeah, exactly. And then for you, uh, I'm also curious with the, in terms of the schedule. One of the last things on this is just on weekends. Like, how do you approach weekends from a, a work versus not work perspective? Like, what does a weekend look like for you then? I think I've tried to. I think this pandemic has tried has slowed us all down, and sure. we're all trying things that we've never tried before. So I think weekends is the time I try all of those things, whether it's paddle boating, kayaking, <laughs> hiking. <laughs> So I try to do all of those activities and and enjoy the simple things that we never really used to appreciate before, like reading a book outside in a park. Yeah. <laughs> you know, very simple things, but it is so nice. So I try to do that on weekends. And you had mentioned another book with Simon Sinek and, and reading as well. What have been kind of some impactful books, whether it be personal or professional, that, that you've read that you suggest to others? I think one of my favorite books is actually a book by Yvonne Schwinar, uh, Let My People Go Surfing. I I love the culture he instilled in Patagonia, but he really built the company out of his love for rock climbing. And he was able to instill a tremendous, you know, strong passion in Patagonia's culture that is still present today. So I'm in awe of what he's done. And I really enjoy that book on a professional and even personal level. So that's definitely one of my favorite books. And another book that I, it's actually a children's book that I send to all new employees is What to Do with an Idea. And I I used to sit on a board of an early childhood literacy nonprofit, and I'm fascinated with the lessons taught in children's books. So as a social impact company, it's important that everybody embodies our core values. And the lesson in this book is that ideas can change the world. And we remind ourselves every day of the positive impact we can bring in people's lives. So I share that book with every single person that joins us. And it's fun to have a children's book on a bookshelf. Yeah, something not as serious as well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Some like, yeah, all these like deep, in-depth business uh, <laughs> books. And then you're like, oh, what is this this fascinating book here? Well. <laughs> I think I think from a reading perspective, I do read a lot. I trying to get some of those, some of those books that are just not your typical business book, I think is super important from a, uh, whether it be just relaxing and wine, but also just like reminding ourselves, like not take things too seriously. Cause like mm-hmm. at the same time we, you know, this is a very serious thing. I'm like building this company, but then you're like, wait a minute, but to kind of unwind from that a bit, it, it can be helpful. At least from my experience, it can be helpful. Um, and, and one thing I want to dig into a little bit too, is just with, with venture capital, not many companies get venture capital, uh, and then even less are, are female founders who get venture capital for their companies. How has your experience been as, as a female founder, venture-backed company? How has your experience been the last few years? Um, well, it's we we face our fair share of challenges for sure. It's I think some of the biggest struggle is you're always trying to speak to the audience, and when you're sharing a story about you know your own financial setback and working Americans that, that need access, sometimes they, they don't really relate to it. So I think that's, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're talking to, you know, the 1%, right, of America. So I think like that's been my, my biggest struggle, whether I'm female or not. It is, has been a huge challenge to get them to understand the big vision around 
rainy day coverage and how it could change people's all working Americans lives. And so I think that that's been tough and building an impact focused company is has his fair share of obstacles. And I think like we just got to keep going and find the right investors that are more focused on those challenges. And I think that's, that's my strategy moving forward. And and with that, I mean, what, I know you, you, you've mentioned from a young age, you've been kind of interested in making an impact, but what, what keeps you going? What keeps you uh, motivated on those hard days? I, I'm just curious on what, what that is for you. So what's interesting is I listen to a lot of our customer service calls and I keep them in a folder. And sometimes I hear these really amazing um, stories from the callers. They're excited they got, they repaid their, their emergency fund and they're excited that they get money to pay for, you know, gas or their grandparents' birthday and, you know, paying food, bringing food to the table. And I think like I share those audio calls with our whole team because it's really important to remember and, uh, and again, this is another Simon Sinek <laughs> book, uh, start with the why, I think. Yes, and, why. Yep. and we need to remember why we're doing this. I think it's so easy to, you know, get caught up in everything. You know, we're doing one call after another. My team does cold calls all day long and it's exhausting. And we're like trying to fix our product here and there. So really try to remind them why we're here and how this is important. And I really do believe we could create positive change and it's a huge it's a huge battle you know the payday industry is a very powerful industry and i believe somebody has to put them out of business <laughs> and so <laughs> might as well be so you think, right and so i think it's good reminder to always remember why we're doing this and to listen to the callers and listen to the users that are using this program and how grateful they are and they share a lot of notes with HR and we share it back with them so that they are reminded like what a huge difference it's making in their lives. Absolutely. And, and with you on your journey as well, I mean, have there been any, any particular mentors or people who've been helpful or like who has been your support system along the way as you've, as you've grown this company? I have a lot of therapy. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so I actually have a really strong community of founders I rely on. And a lot of them are late stage founders. So I do use them as a sounding board. So I would say my, you know, other founders I rely on and I get feedback from. We're all going through the same struggle and we support each other in the same way. So I would say other founders. And and how have you typically like, met them or got in touch with them? Is it through uh, through your investors or just I'm just curious on how that has gone in terms of your networking? It was pretty organic. We're all we're all Asian American, <laughs> and we we have this mindset where as with Asian parents they always want us to be lawyers and doctors, mm. but we all broke out of the mold somehow and <laughs> somehow you know, became broke and decided to start a company that not all Asian parents are fond of. So we all became this support group for one another. We just like, we got to support each other. So I think like it was pretty organic. It was just one friend knew another friend and that's just how it started. It started in San Francisco and I, I have to thank them for a lot of, you know, how I've been going through this journey is I rely on them for their feedback. 
And and with that, just just to dive in a little bit deeper, is that something where it's just as you know as needed, or whenever you happen, to just text them, give a call, or do you have like something set up where you meet regularly? It's COVID now; it's a little bit different. I'm just curious on how how that typically works for you. We used to meet regularly, and regularly, I mean, more of a quarterly basis. But now yeah. we just message each other; we just text each other. And we haven't talked a ton about this yet, but to the point of COVID, I mean, how has COVID affected your business or how you've, you've run Honeybee uh, during this crazy time that is the pandemic? I think this pandemic, like I mentioned before, has highlighted the, the huge challenge that we were facing, which is making employers understand how to prioritize this for their, for their employees. So COVID has highlighted that issue for us. And in some ways has worked out well for us, right? In, you know, in the strangest way. And I think it's, it's really impacted us on a positive level, I would say, because now, you know, it's the news we see every day, right? Americans are struggling, unemployment is skyrocketing. So I would say it has helped us uh, a lot. But now working from home, we've all had to readjust to, you know, a different schedule. And I think it's worked out really well. And and one of the last things I'm, I'm curious about is just looking back, and there's so many, there's so many challenges and, and struggles for, for any entrepreneur, but to focus on the positives, then what have been the most enjoyable aspects of, of being an entrepreneur of, of, of running Honeybee the last, you know, four plus years? Hmm, the most enjoyable aspect. <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride, I would have to say there's a lot of up and downs. Uh, I think for us, we'll always be our customers, right? Like listening to their calls and understanding what we've done. Like we've been able to do this. We've changed these individuals' lives for the better. So I think that has been a huge plus, especially for me, who has always been in the impact. I've always been passionate about providing impact in underserved communities. And now I get to do it on a larger scale to all working Americans. And it's not just people in underserved communities that need it. They, a lot of people need it. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So, so I think like that's been, our mission is what keeps us going forward. And then finally, just for, for anyone else in, in their career, whether it be through starting a business or through uh, uh, just through their actual job, what would you say in terms of making an impact, things people could think about or, or what they would should think about reg- regarding making an impact through through their work. Because I know you've, for a, a long time, have, have been wanting to make an impact and have been doing so, especially with, with Honeybee. But for others out there who really want to create impact impact in their work, like what would you what would you tell them? Well, the first thing I would say is, are you solving a problem? Or are you creating a solution for a problem that doesn't exist? <laughs> I think it's really important to, to be solving a, a problem, especially you're building a, an impact-focused company. And I think this business is tough uh, because things that matter are hard. So staying focused and staying true to your mission and I do believe that you can find passion, profit, and meaning all at once. But to accomplish all of this, you need a really great team. And I'm thankful that we've been able to build that. And one thing I always remind myself is to be uncomfortable, no, to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. So I think that's, uh, that's, that's my one advice I would give. <laughs> Perfect. And, and Annie, where can people go to learn more about Honeybee and connect with you? Yeah, so our website is www.meethoneybee.com and my Twitter handle is at Annie Lim.
Awesome. I will be sure to link that up in the show notes at justgrind.com slash podcast. And any, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.